I want to talk to you today simply about vision. I'm going to preach a message called seasick. Seasick. And not S-E-A-S-E-E. Seasick. What we see can make us sick. Or it can drive us forward into the call of God on our lives. And I really believe I'm experiencing this, and I don't know if you are, but the enemy has been trying to put things in front of us that make us say, what in the world is going on? Any, like just out of nowhere, some problem or something comes up that would make you not only question God, but question yourself. Sometimes we don't question God because our faith is high, but the enemy wants to make you question yourself. Is it me? Am I on the wrong track? What is going on? And if we're not careful, we think that doubt is the opposite of faith when it is sight. Because the Bible says we walk by faith, not by I have a full-time job because people are seasick. What they've seen is affecting how they act, what they respond to, and this is no way to discount um, what God has called you to do or, or what you're feeling in this moment, but how many of us, it's like we grow up and we see all these things and what we see shapes who we are. When the Bible says that what we believe shapes who we are. And so I no longer wanna be a church that is shaped and transformed into the image of our experiences. When God said, let us make man in our image that they may be like us. You are designed, created to be made in the image of God. That means when God sees you, he wants to see himself in you. I remember one story of a blacksmith, because many people think that if God is real, why am I going through this? I remember somebody sharing a story of a blacksmith who was making a sword, and he was training an apprentice to, to make a sword as well, and he would lay the sword in the fire, and every time he laid the sword in the fire, the impurities would come out of the sword, and you could see the, the impurities in the metal come out in the fire. And the apprentice asked the blacksmith, how do you know when the sword is done? He said, I know when the sword is done because when I keep putting it in the fire and the impurities come out of the metal, when I can see my face, my reflection in the sword, I know it's complete. Sometimes God will use circumstances to get impurities out of you. And you're wondering, when is this gonna be over? And he says, when I can see myself in you, then it's gonna be over. And I know what you're thinking, you're thinking, well, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. This, this creates the question that everybody says why they don't want to follow God. If God is so good, how come bad things happen to good people? Our entire faith is based off of a bad thing happening to a good person. Jesus did nothing at all and they crucified him on the cross. But the end of the story was he was resurrected. So I'm talking to believers that if you have to carry your cross, at the end of your cross, there's a resurrection for your marriage. There's a resurrection for your dreams. There's a resurrection for the things that God has put on the inside of you. I'm getting so hype, I knocked down my water. So I want to talk to you about vision today. Vision. You know, there's this story about John F. Kennedy. And John F. Kennedy, they was arguing with Russia, and we still argue with Russia, but this is the Cold War. And John F. Kennedy, uh, Russia had sent a satellite out into space. And John F. Kennedy was like, we gotta one-up them. And I'm paraphrasing. You know, we gotta get it how we live, John F. Kennedy said. And, and all his advisors said, what are you talking about? He said, we gotta put a man on the moon. And people called him crazy. 
We got to put a man on the moon. Now, some of y'all conspiracy theorists, was there a person really on the moon? I mean, we don't know. I heard it was a studio set, you flat earthers. Um, but everyone around him thought he was crazy. He had a vision for putting a man on the moon, and when he was trying to do this, I looked it up, more than 50% of America disagreed with the United States spending time, effort, energy, and finances on this vision. But then he did it, and all of the United States applauded it. When you get a vision from God, you know it's God when you can't get anyone around you to think that that's the right idea. Now for some of you, I'm not giving you permission to do stupid stuff. Nobody around me thought I should have this Gucci bag, but God, no, 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 no. Can I just give you a clue on how you ain't ready for a Gucci bag? Can I just tell you, let me just talk to some of y'all out there. You might not need a bunch of Gucci if you don't know in your house yet. You might not need a Gucci if your car still need a key. You might not. Like, if you got an alternator in your car, you ain't ready for a Gucci bag. Can I just talk to somebody right now? If your car was built in the year where DMX put out his last album, put the Gucci bag back on the shelf. Do you know why, though, we get Gucci bags? Because the counterfeit of vision is validation. Oh. Hey! <laughs> I had to kick the binder today. The counterfeit of vision is validation. When you don't have a vision from God, you need validation from people. And when God gives you a vision, he actually makes you fast from validation. See, some of y'all been fasting from food to hear from God. In this season, we need to fast from validation. I don't need you to applause me. Matter of fact, the Bible says you want to test a man, give him praise. That's how you really test the character. So God will have no one validate you. Matter of fact, God will have certain people come after your character. Attack who you are. Because we don't realize that sometimes we, we actually uh, understand better who we are because of what people say about us. And we get outside of what God is saying. So sometimes your greatest season of vision is when God is telling you something about you, you can't get anyone else to tell you. And when we don't receive the vision from God, we look for validation from people. And this is something that is over-preached validation. I'm not talking about Instagram followers. We are called to be influent. I don't, don't be satisfied with 200 people following on Instagram if it's supposed to be 2 million. But I'm talking about don't allow the thing, oh, I'm just gonna leave it down, I'm just gonna leave it down there. I'm just gonna leave it down there. It wants to be down there, the Lord wants it down there. You know people over-spiritualize stuff. That's the Holy Spirit. He wants the water on the ground. So we gonna, that person, that's a sign. No, no it's not. I just dropped my water. The Lord's saying his water is going to flow throughout the... No, no, it's, no it's not. Those prophetic people. Uh, do you understand what I'm saying? So when we feel invalidated by people, we lose sight of vision. And we start making decisions about temporary things. You know, I looked up research, and it says that in your average company, it takes 
5.4 people to make a decision on average. And rarely does it have anything to do with vision. It's just everybody's vying to get their opinions heard. And vision is something that God wants to speak to you and I today. It was said to this about Steve Jobs, that he set out to imagine what reality lacked. That is no joke. When God can speak to you and entrust you with a vision. Do you know the Bible says that as ministers of God, that we are stewards of the mysteries of God? So, so some of us, we don't want a mystery. We want it all laid out. We want absolute clarity. If there's any risk involved, we're not doing it. But God is saying, no, I'm trusting you with a mystery. So I'll give you a vision and you'll have no idea how it's gonna happen. But here's the biggest reason why God does something. Because he said so. He doesn't need anyone's help. He can go against science. He can tell Mary she's pregnant. And she goes, I haven't had sex with my husband. He goes, so what? The Holy Spirit will overshadow you. And I'm telling you right now, if you would allow God to give you a fast from validation and give you real vision for your life, oh my God. Vision is simply what do you see? And the world wants us, to, the question the world is asking is what do you want? What do you want? Um, I did a little cute little prophetic exercise with some of my staff, friends, kids, and I say, close your eyes. The Holy Spirit's gonna have Uncle Julian buy you a toy. What do you see? They close their eyes. I see a bath toy with water splashing all over the place. It was the cutest thing in the world. They were closing their eyes and they could visualize something and we were just being cute. And I'm not talking about, but they were visualizing what they wanted. But God wants you to spend some time with him and be able to see what he wants to give you. I, you want to be married, but have you seen yourself being married? You want to be blessed, but have you seen it? Can you see it in the spiritual realm? That Jesus says, blessed are those who have eyes to see and ears to hear. Can you see it? Can you see things other people can't see? Oh my God, let me tell you something. I give you my word. I stand up here today and I give you my word. You will never, ever look on the internet and see that your pastor cheated on his wife. I give you my word. Do you know why? Because I have never met anyone pretty enough or attractive enough who could see what my wife saw in me when I had nothing. Everybody wants this version, but nobody wants the version that couldn't put gas in their car, that was sleeping on their friend's couch, and I was embarrassed to go on a date with my wife. My wife would sneak me $20 out of the ATM, out of her account, because I didn't have the money to pay for a double date. And she would give it to me to pay for the date so I wouldn't be embarrassed in front of my friends. And when I asked her, when I told her, like, I'm embarrassed, she said, God has shown me what he's doing with your life. Do you think that I'm going to share that vision with somebody else? It's not because I'm a better person. It's not because I have integrity. I have vision. 
and no other woman fits in my vision. Oh my God. Some of y'all are with the wrong, that's right, babe. That's right. Amos 3, 7 says this, the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. Did you, somebody say, oh, we in Amos? Raise your hand if you didn't know that was in the Bible. Come on, come on, let's be, let's be humble. Raise your hand if you didn't know Amos was in the Bible. Raise your hand. Amos. You like, that the dude that make them cookies back in the day? Them cookies was fire. Them cookies was fire. Come on, black people. Come on, black people. Come on, black people. Y'all ain't cheering loud enough. That black man's cookies was fire. Come on, black folk. I know we diverse, man, but let me tell you something. Amos, y'all Keebler Elf ain't got nothing on Amos. Nothing on Amos. Famous Amos was cold. Man's chocolate chip cookies was cold. I forgot where I was going with this. Oh, Amos. I'm like, dang, man, y'all stop distracting me. I'm like, I don't even know what I'm talking about anymore. Amos 3.7. God does nothing without telling somebody he's going to do it. So you don't have to guess. And sometimes we think God has an obligation to do what we want. He has an obligation to do what he said. And some of the reason why we're so disappointed is because we think that what we want is what God said. And you have to differentiate between what you want and what he said. How do you do that? I'm glad you asked. The Bible says in Hebrews that the word of God is powerful, alive, and active. Hebrews 4.12, able to divide soul and spirit. What I want is in my soul, my mind, my will, and emotions. What God is saying is in the spirit. So I need the word of God to separate my soul from my spirit. It's a powerful, live, and active, so without the word, your soul and your spirit become blended. And you can't tell the difference between what you want and what he said. The word of God helps separate that. Now that word is Logos word, which is the Bible. So some of us are so missing what God is saying because we don't know what he said. If you wanted to create more accuracy about what God is saying, Study what he said. Studying what he said increases accuracy on what he is saying. So what happens is the enemy will try to distract you. You haven't heard what he said. You don't know Amos. You don't know Philippians. I'm not here to attack anyone. I'm not here to make anybody feel attacked. I'm just saying if you don't know what he said, trying to go in God's presence and hear what he is saying. When you call your parents, and you're in a situation right now in this moment. For those of us in this room that would actually call their parents, it's because of what they said. But if your daddy ain't never said nothing to you, you ain't calling them talking about daddy, I'm looking for a house. He wasn't there. He never said anything to you. And so God wants to speak to you past tense to create accuracy in present tense to create destiny in a future tense. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So if you want to hear from God today, you better know what he said yesterday. And then you'll be blessed forever. This is good preaching. I'm about to kick this binder again. And the Bible says he doesn't do anything without telling somebody he did it. I'm doing this. I'm doing this. I'm doing it. 
I don't do anything without telling my servants that I'm doing it. Proverbs 29, 18, another great verse on vision. This is why I'm praying that every single person who calls a waste his home is in the house for Vision Sunday. Because this is not vision for the four walls. This is vision for the church of God, the family of Oasis. I believe that God is going to do something so miraculous over the next seven years of our life that you will live off what he does in the next seven years. In year 10, you'll still be living off. I'm telling you. Listen to this other word on vision, Proverbs 29, 18. Where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. But blessed is he who keeps the law. The reason why I made that promise, again, about my wife, is not because I'm better than people. It's because of vision. The vision that I have for my family, the vision that I have for my kids, the vision that I have for the church. I'm not making that phone call. I'm not up here apologizing and crying over that. Now, I'm going to post something stupid on Instagram that might offend some of y'all, but it ain't going to be that. Like, I might say a joke that might make you mad. He's, he, he, he said black people eat Amos cookies and white people eat Keebler. I don't like him. I, 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 I get that. I get that. Send me an email. But no, 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 no. Why? And it's not because I'm better. It's vision. So even if I was tempted with something, even if I was tempted with something, I'm convicted by something greater. So I don't want to satisfy this thing in this moment and forfeit this thing in the future. So, so with maturity, you understand that every decision you make has a consequence, positive or negative. My son is a massive basketball fan, massive. He wasn't three years ago. He is today. And two years ago, during the pandemic, I was a team chaplain of the LA Clippers in a pandemic, and I would have to sit on a Zoom for a year, and none of these players would show up to the Zoom. And we would be working out, and I'd have to take a break, and I'd go sit on a Zoom for a year with no players on it, and I wanted to quit. But because I sat on that Zoom for a year, this lady who works for the Clippers loves me and invited me and my son to Clippers Family Day where it's staff and family. And now my son is being encouraged by basketball players, Kawhi Leonard, telling him to play defense because of a decision I made three years ago It's blessing my son. And my son was like, how did you make this happen? By doing something I didn't want to do. You get to do what you want to do by doing something passionately you don't want to do. Son, this is why we do what God tells us to do. Because now, in order for you to get in this room, I paved the way for you to be in this room. And now you don't have to do what daddy had to do to get in this room. Can you understand what I'm telling you right now? I just couldn't believe that it came out of something I didn't want to do. I didn't want to do. When you receive vision from God, it helps to restrain you from doing things that don't line up with the vision. So, so for example, 
where there is no vision, the reason why, and, and, and I'm not trying to be political again, but, but things like abortion are at an all-time high because people don't have vision for family. They, they're just having sex. And so when they find out they're pregnant, they have no vision, so they cast off restraint. But you got people in this church who are praying for kids because they have vision. So when they get pregnant, it's yay. When you have no vision, it's no. And you cast off restraint, and you don't realize that God may be trying to give you a kid to slow your butt down so that you can think about some vision. Because most of the time when people get kids, they start getting vision. So God goes, you have no vision. You have no vision for your body. You have no vision for your marriage. Let me give you a kid so at least you'll have vision for someone else. It's the truth. I got to do something to spark your vision. Because you down there in the club talking about energy and all this stuff. Listen. Listen, God will do whatever it takes to get vision to you. And so what I'm saying is, we have vision. And so we have, we have vision. And where there's vision, we cast off restraint. And so if you're having an issue with sin, you don't have a sin problem. You have a vision problem. Just vision. You know, if you just like, can you imagine like, like Beyonce cheating on Jay-Z with little Uzi Vert or somebody like that. You go, if you don't know who little Uzi Vert is, let me just, exactly. You're like, what? You, you wouldn't be surprised that she cheated. You'd be surprised who she cheated with. That's Beyonce. She shouldn't just be laying down with any old body. That's Beyonce. When you look at yourself and somebody tries to come in your bedroom and lay up with you, you're like, what? Do you know I'm going to be married in five years? And I'm not going to lay down with you so you can give me 15 triggers my husband or wife has to deal with. I'm about to crane kick this binder. I'm like the black Mr. Miyagi right now. I'm... Like, listen, I'm about wax on, wax off. I'm telling you, what I'm telling you, you might not understand now, but it's gonna bless you when you're in a fight for your vision. So I can tell who has vision by people who are restraining from doing things they wanna do. Don't tell me about what you're doing. Tell me about what you wanna do that you're not doing. So I'm not saying you gotta be like, like not have feelings. You look at somebody like, oh snap, oh snap, my vision. No, no, I'm not, no, no. Because the enemy will send you somebody to validate you right at the moment God is trying to give you vision. I'm telling you, the enemy will send you a job making more money when you're supposed to stay at the job you're at because you want to feel validated. I'm telling you, I'm telling you right now, it, it's, it's, it's this restraining that takes place when we have vision. And so specifically, I believe God is going to give our church over these next several years vision in three specific areas. You want to hear them? Yeah. God wants to give you vision for his will. If we follow these three specific areas, we will not be seasick. 
God wants to give you vision for his will. Now, he doesn't want you to have no will. I remember this spiritual theologian said, I, uh, Christians need to get to the place where they have no will of their own, but only God's will. Come on, man. Come on, man. That's not the way it works. It's not my will, but yours be done. So you have a will and Jesus has a will. And that word will is a word that means God's best offer. It's not, and here's how some people follow God's will. They go, I mean, God wants me to, I guess God wants me to move, so I guess God wants me to go do this. And they act like, I know what's best, and, but since he's God, I'll just do the second best option that's God's. No, no, no. God's will is this word, thelema, which means God's best offer. So his best offer. So you ever seen that, that show, Deal or No Deal? That's how God presents his will to you. But what we do, what, that, what he does is whatever bag has the best for you, he presents to you first. And when you don't trust him, you go, nah, there's got to be something else over there. But he's presenting to you his best offer. He wants to give you revelation for his will. How do we know the will of God? How do we know? There's a clear scripture that helps us know the will of God. And if you don't know this scripture, it was the first Bible study I ever did thanks to one of my Connect Group mentors. It was Romans 12 verses 1 through 2. It says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. The first thing you need to do to know the will of God is to present yourself and have an attitude that I belong to God. I am not my own. I can't just do whatever I want to do. My whole life is a living sacrifice. Now, they would have understood this terminology because they would have been making sacrifices to God all the time, but those sacrifices died. We are a living sacrifice. It is our sacrifices that lead us to the life we want. Did you know that? Did you know that? When I'm, when I'm doing things with my family and we're doing great things, how many people, you rarely will have any good thing in your life that you cannot name a specific sacrifice that you had to make. Most people don't want to be married anymore because they don't want to make sacrifices for their wife. So they run off. No, you got to make that sacrifice. You got to give something up, bruh. You can't be out here just doing whatever you want. You got to be a living sacrifice. Now, if you had already been used to sacrificing for God, it would be easier for you to sacrifice for people. But since you don't sacrifice for God, why would you sacrifice for a woman? You don't even sacrifice for God. And he's God. There ain't enough date nights in the world that will fix somebody who don't want to sacrifice for God. I'm telling you right now, can I give you some free dating advice? Come on, lady, look for a man who makes sacrifices for God. I know he might not even be hot. He might not even be cute. You better get a bottle of wine and call it a night when you marry. Everybody cute with some Merlot. Me and my wife honeymoon night, I said, why are you drinking? No, I'm just playing. <laughs> I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I'm just playing. 
I'm just looking at my wife to see if I can continue this line of joking. She's like. So I got the, so I'm just looking at the, my wife up front. She's like. So I, I won't go where else I was going with that. So my wife got some Hennessy? Oh, snap. Uh, getting that thought out of my head in the name of the Lord. Um, living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. Holy and, like, holy and acceptable to God. Well, how do you be holy? You thirst for righteousness. Come on, like, I believe the church, we were created to be thirst traps, but for righteousness. Not for the things of the world, for righteousness. Because God says, if you are thirsty for my character, I'll give it to you. What are you, what are you thirsty for? So you obey your thirst, like Spice. You obey your thirst because you want it so bad, you, the Holy Spirit says, okay, let's partner with that. And it says to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is real worship. And then it says in verse 2, do not be conformed to the ways of this world, which means don't follow the pattern. Don't, no, you're not like them. And anytime someone doesn't follow the pattern, we always have to villainize people who are. This doesn't, this is not for us to attack the world and what they're doing, but to be real, like, if everyone just followed God's way of sexuality, there would be no rape, no molestation, no divorce. It would solve so many of the problems that the reason why you're in church you have because of what you saw your parents do, if, if they just did what God said, all God wanted people to do is be together and be fruitful and mu multiply. So that doesn't mean we attack other people or we villainize other people, but we have to start saying, how do I love without conforming? It's one of the hardest things to do. When most people who aren't conforming don't love and most people who love conform. And it's like, how do I follow the word? How do I live the word? How do I... And I honestly would say, I think Christians just talk too much. We post too much. And so we become hypocritical when we're not really fully living out what God wants us to do, but we harp on the things someone else is doing instead of saying, no, I'm a living sacrifice. You know, when someone watches you be a living sacrifice, they probably want to hear more of what you have to say. I would go on to say that if you've never sacrificed for anyone, you have no right to correct them. We, you don't. So he's like, don't, but don't conform, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So conformity is this, hearing something and aligning yourself with it. And one of the most dangerous things about religion is religion is conformity. We, want, we hear something and we force ourselves. We force ourselves to do it through human effort. That's conformity. Transform comes from this word, it's a metaphysical. It's like what happens when a caterpillar goes in a cocoon. Did you know that? A caterpillar, a butterfly is not a caterpillar with wings. In obscurity, it, comes, it becomes a completely different creation. Completely different. It breaks down, it literally dies, and is re- it's, it's meta, what, what the dies, the cells that all die 
are metamorphosized into a butterfly. And that word transform means meta, that God will put you in his presence. It means to change after being with. So conformity is, is Bible without presence, which is what some politicians preach, is Bible without presence. Transform is word and presence. The person shows up to say something. So you cannot have a, a, a biblical, um, you know, biblical valued country without God's presence being in the lives of everyone who is following those rules because it creates transformation, not conforming. So I don't want anyone to conform to the ways of God. I want them to transform to the ways of God. And that only happens through presence. It means to change after being with. Do you know that's how gracious that is, that God doesn't want you to be different until he meets you face to face? Did you know that? Until he can be in close proximity with you, he wants literally every ounce of change to happen in your life to come from proximity. He draws near before he asks anything of you. It turns you into a person of vision. God wants to give you vision for his will, which is his best offer. Here's the big thing, and I'm going to land this plane. Come on, y'all. God wants to give you vision for the work. Some of the most believing people I know don't want to work. You got to work. Come on, anybody ever hired a believer? And you're like, oh, my God. They just praying all the time. No, man, I need you to work. I know what God said. Get to work. I just believe God's going to bring increase. No, God's going to make you work. What farmer sits in the house with a field with no seed and believes for increase? That's not faith. The Bible also says if you don't work, you don't eat. God has to give us vision for the work. Do you know one of these disciples one time argued, they said, we want to be the greatest. And he says, do you know what it will take to be that? And I'm paraphrasing, do you not know what you just asked me? Some of y'all's dreams are big and God wants to do it, but do you really want to work that hard? For Do you know what that's going to take? You 24 talking about, I just, where are you, God? You got that vision two years ago. You think you can have a generational vision come to pass in two years? Didn't I tell you this was going to bless your kids? And by the way, for some of y'all who just came to the Lord, give God as long to fix your life as you took to mess it up. So if you've been trifling for 10 years, come on, somebody. Don't get baptized in March yelling at God in June. Give God time. You know why? Because God wants to give you vision for the wait. Oh, my God. Anybody waiting for something? He wants to give you vision for his will. He wants to give you vision for the work. And he wants to give you vision for the wait. Most people get so discouraged. And I want the team to come up right now. Most people get so discouraged. Lord, you've told me what you want. You, I know this is your will. I'm putting in the work. Why is it not happening? Because he's trying to give you vision for the wait. Do you know what waiting does? Oh, I hate waiting. You know what waiting does? It, it gives you the character you need to handle what you're waiting for. 
If you have something, raise your hand if you have something you believe that God has shown you that is going to massively influence people for God, massively influences. I want you to raise your hand. Keep your hand up if you could say to yourself, I will still be worshiping God with this much praise if he didn't do it for 20 years. Now, why y'all lying? <laughs> you can put your hand down. Do you know sometimes God shows you something and then he spends years building, turning you into the person who can handle what he showed you? Anybody have a Bible? I want you to look up where David was crowned, was told he was going to be king. If you have your Bible, I want you to look up where David was told he was going to be king. Because the Lord wants to give you vision for the wait. You know who the king before David was? And y'all can come get this. You know what the king before David was? It was a man by the name of Saul. And Saul lost his kingdom because he didn't have the character to keep it. Do you know from the time they told Saul he was going to be king, he was king in a week? How many of you with those visions, deep down if you're being honest, I would love to have it in a week. Can you imagine if God told you something on Monday and by next Monday you had it? That's what happened with Saul. But because he got it so quickly, he didn't have the character to keep it, so he lost it. And I will tell you, the only thing I've discovered that's more painful than God saying something and I don't have it yet is God giving me something and I lose it because of my character. Saul was made king in a week. Did anybody look up that verse? All these people in the room, you know? Second Samuel 5. Look, there you go, Clayton. Come on. All right, this is when David was told he was going to be king. First Samuel what? Oh, Samuel anoints David as king. This is 1 Samuel 16. Saul got anointed king. He was king in a week. Lost it pretty quickly. David gets anointed in 1 Samuel 16. 1 Samuel 17. Eighteen, Saul becomes jealous of David. Look at that heading. Nineteen, Saul tries to kill David. Halfway through nineteen, his wife saves his life. Verse twenty, he gets help from Jonathan. Verse twenty-one, David runs from Saul. Verse twenty-two, David is hiding in a cave. Chapter twenty-three, David protects the town. Twenty-four. David spares Saul's life when he could kill him and stop it. 25, the death of the person who was speaking into his life. 26, David saves Saul's life again, his enemy. 27, he hides among the Philistines. 28, 29, the Philistines reject David. 30, 31, we're in 2 Samuel 1. And the Bible says that David learns of the death of Saul. And you're already 15 chapters later, which Bible scholars say was 16 years before David got his crown. He got anointing and God gave him a cave before he gave him a crown. And I've seen too many people because they lack vision forfeit their crown because God needs to know, can he trust you in the cave? 
when you feel like nothing is happening, you're going the opposite direction of what he said. He needs to give you vision for the wait. And you will be exhausted. But the Bible says, says those who wait on the Lord, he will renew their strength. I want you to stand to your feet. And I believe next week when you come to Vision Sunday that God is going to literally impart a vision into the spirit of, of this church. And you're going to be walking in favor and blessing that you've never been able to get on your own because I believe this is the divine time. And there are people that are, that are going to be operating in famine and, and the people of favor are going to bless those people. And no matter what your situation was before, God is going to do something miraculous. But we really need to be a church. Pastor Frank Damasio told me, and I'll never forget it, the Bible says the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. So if we don't want the gates of hell to prevail in our life, we better make sure we're a church. And we're a church that believes. We're a church with vision. We're a church that understands what God wants to do in our life. So I want to pray for you right now that the soil of your heart would be prepared for the seed of vision next week that God would do something amazing, that this last three years that maybe have hardened some of your hearts, that God would soften it right now so that you could be the perfect person for what God wants to do in the earth. Raise your hand right now if you want that. If you say, God, soften my heart to receive your vision. God, I need vision for my life. I haven't been able to see what you're doing. Holy Spirit, open their eyes in the name of Jesus so that they may know who you are and may know what you have for them. In Jesus' name, the seed of vision is going to go forth in this church, in the hearts of your people. And over the next seven years, this vision is going to grow. And lives will be transformed. And this city will be healed. And people will be set free. And increase will come in areas where there's been lack. And healing will rise up in the bodies of your people. And God, you'll give them vision, revelation, and wisdom for all the things you have planned for them. And you'll do so many great things, it's going to bless their children and their children's children. It's going to bless the kids in the chi kids' ministry. It's going to bless kids growing up in impoverished neighborhoods. That God, right now, someone who doesn't believe that it could be them, that this is the season where you're going to release them. This is the season where you're going to encourage them. This is the season where beauty will be exchanged for ashes. This is the season where believers are going to come out of the fire with a faith because who's been in the fire with us? Jesus Christ. This is a season where the anointing of God's people will rise up, where healing will come, humility will be raised up. This is a season where people will pray like they've never prayed before. This is a season where sons and daughters will prophesy. They'll speak the word of the Lord. They'll be encouraged in their spirit. This is a season where we won't take no for an answer. We're not going to lay down what you have called us to do. We're going to pick it up with faith. The Bible says if we're going to follow Jesus, we got to carry our cross. So this is the season where Oasis will be cross carriers, faith barriers with vision. In Jesus' mighty name, give God a shout of praise.